0: Hi, I'm Lou Graham, and you're listening to the Rock Solid Podcast.
1: Make me a deal and make it good for me. I won't get full of myself, so I can't afford to be here. This is small town music, this is big town music. He's ahead of his time, you know, but he can't use it.
2: Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis, and joining me in the Zoom room today is the multi-platinum original lead vocalist of Foreigner. He was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2013. Please welcome one of the greatest singers in rock and roll history, Mr. Lou Graham. Hello, Lou. how are you doing?
0: Doing fine. Thanks for the wonderful intro.
2: yeah, you got you gotta feel good when uh, when someone gives you an intro like that.
0: <laughs> Boy, I do I do.
2: but it's uh, but it's all true uh, because if I didn't believe it, I wouldn't say it. i've been uh, I've been putting my notes together. Lou, there's so much stuff to cover with you. it's It's just such an impressive career, and I'm so happy that you agreed to do this with me. I want to throw out a couple things for people. All things Lou Graham can be found at Lou on Instagram. It's at official Lou Graham and on Twitter it's at Graham Lou. So make note of that. And that's where you're going to find all the stuff about Lou Graham. You're also going to be uh, doing some tour dates pretty soon. You're on tour with Asia featuring John Payne.
0: Yeah. Yes, that's correct, yeah.
2: And I live in Los Angeles. You're going to be rolling through Southern California in November, so I'm definitely going to be there. So, okay. Good. Got all the promotion out of the way. First of all, I want to talk first, before we get into the fun stuff, I want to talk about 24 years ago, you were diagnosed with a benign brain tumor, which was removed. How is your health today? How are you feeling, Lou? My
0: health is, uh, is considering what I've been through, is, is very good. Excellent. Uh, I, I still have to uh, take uh, uh, quite a bit of medication because of the damage that the uh, tumor did to uh, uh, lobes of the brain. And yeah. certain, certain things are damaged and, and you, know, you really can't do anything about it. It's just, just do your best to live with it. And so
2: even though the tumor was benign, it's still, I mean, a lot of people think, oh, it's a benign tumor. So everything's cool. But that's not really the case with medical things sometimes.
0: No, this 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 tumor was the size of a large egg, and it was in my right frontal lobe, and it had tentacle-like appendages uh, uh, going out from it that wrapped itself that wrapped themselves around my optic nerve, and, and uh, damaged my my pituitary severely.
2: How did this present itself at the time, Lou? How did you know that something wasn't quite right?
0: I was suddenly having long and short memory lapses, mm-hmm. not not everything, but periodically uh, something that I should know. I just I just could put couldn't put my finger on it. A- and uh, the, the one that really drove it home for me was I was trying to call my mom and dad, who have had the same number for 38 years. And I got past, I got I got through the prefix, but the last four numbers couldn't remember. Wow. They're the same numbers that were, they had when I was living in the house. Yeah. You know, and that really, that really scared me.
2: Yeah. That would, I mean, you know, nowadays we would say that was a senior moment, but you weren't, you weren't an, an older gentleman at that point. You're still a young guy, fit, healthy. And so, yeah, that is a, that's disconcerting. So after a couple of those things, you decided to go and have yourself checked. Thankfully have yourself checked out.
0: Yes, I did. And, uh, I, I had an MRI taken and they, uh, uh, it was very easy. They saw the tumor. It was so mm-hmm. big yeah. and uh, what damage it had already done and what potentially it was poised to do. Right. Uh, um, it, it was not an, a great place to operate. Although some of the, the doctors here in Rochester were willing to, to operate on it and they, they were honest with me and they said they didn't hold out a lot of hope for for a, a real success and, and I thanked them well, and, and then the one doctor from, from Rochester here recommended his friend in Manhattan who, who was the head of um, brain surgery department in in a hospital in, in New York City and I I flew down to see him and he he took another MRI uh, of my brain and called me into his office. He told me he'd like to give me some good news but honestly thinks I should go home and put my affairs in order Wow and that that really that really hit hard you know i I, I was holding out hope against hope that that there'd be something that that they could do but uh, uh, it was in a bad place and it was already so big and and uh, they determined i've been i'd been born with it and it's been growing in me for 47 years and um, so so i went home and, and i i was watching tv the night i got home and i think it was a 2020 news program and uh, they had a they had a segment about Dr. Richard Black at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, and he was he was the head of the the brain surgery department, and he had been using lasers to remove inoperable tumors, and and uh, they were they were saying how that's given a lot of people hope. Yeah, and he said that 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 it's not really perfected yet, but but he was getting better and better results. At the end of the segment, they gave his office number and I was on the phone the following morning at 7 a.m., got in touch with his personal secretary, told her my situation and, and about the doctors I had seen and what their prognosis was. And she said that they had a cancellation on Thursday. Wow. This was Tuesday I was talking to her and asked me if I could come in wednesday or, or yeah thursday morning so i could get another mri and uh if all went well friday morning they would be operating
2: wow i mean the, these uh you know you throw around the word you know i don't throw around the word miracle lightly but these are all these things it's that are happening you, you discover the tumor you just happen to stumble along the show with this doctor and and because of um you know, because of your financial means at the time, you're also able to get in to see this guy too. I mean, a lot of people wouldn't just be able to pick up the phone and get in there, correct? I mean, I'm assuming. Well,
0: I, I don't think he saw me necessarily because of who I am. I, I, didn't, I didn't really use Graham. I, right. I used my given name, which is Grammatico. Gotcha. And and, and I'm sure that that the the woman I was on the phone with and didn't have a clue, uh, and uh, just knew me as Lewis grammatical. Right. And I don't, I don't think it was my, my celebrity that got me in so soon. It was that they had an opening and I got in.
2: Maybe celebrity wasn't the term. Um, I'm talking about financial means, like some people wouldn't have the financial means to just fly to another state and get treatment. But luckily because of all your hard work and your career, you were, you're able to do that. That's what I, I guess that's what I meant.
0: Yes. Uh, but, but honestly, most of that surgery w- was covered by my insurance, but, but, but not all, yeah. right, not all. I, yeah. I, I had to, to, um, I had to dig deep to save my own life.
2: Yeah. Well, look, we're glad you did. I, I wanted to bring this up because I know it's part of your story. I didn't want to close out with this because there's some great, you know, there's some, and this is a, for me, this is a happy moment because you're sitting here in front of us and you're still able to sing and tour and do what you love. So all these things are happy, but at the time you're, you're painting a very grim, dark story that you had to get through. And so, you know, so happy that you got through it.
0: Yeah, me too. Thank you. Do you, do you know that, that, uh, uh, a year or two af- after my surgery, I was performing again. I had gained, my, my, because of the massive steroids I was taking, yeah. my weight doubled. I was 145 pounds my, my 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 adult life, and after the surgery with all the steroids, I I went up to 290.
2: Yeah. Well, I saw you, uh, I saw you at the universal amphitheater in around 94, 95 on the Mr. Moonlight tour. And you were a lean, mean machine. And then I did see you when you came back and I think it was uh, right after the surgery. i I think I saw you at the house of blues here in LA and, um, and yes, your the appearance was, was drastic and it was, um, you know, and I felt, you know, I felt bad for you. I mean, I don't know what else to say. It's, um, I, so I can't even imagine what you were feeling.
0: Yeah, I, I had to endure a, 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 a lot of uh, heckling. That's ridiculous. You know, it, it is ridiculous. Someone but, pays. But
2: I, someone pays to come out and see the band they love, and then they're going to heckle the singer after having a life-threatening uh, health problems. That is unbelievable.
0: You know, I, I don't know if, if it wasn't given a lot of publicity. I don't know if everybody knew about that. They they were shouting up uh, too much pasta, huh, Lou?
2: God. And um, I mean, so was there? You probably went through a bit of depression then during this time period. As anyone major major de-
0: major depression.
2: I don't know anyone that wouldn't. You know, it's one. It's so weird because you're you're gonna live and you're gonna survive. But yet you're depressed when you should feel happy. You know what I mean? It's like such a a, a conundrum. But um,
0: I wasn't sh- I wasn't sure that that the the size that I had become and and the the amount of medication I had I had to take I wasn't sure that was really living.
2: Yeah, I understand. I get what you're saying. But now you're you're living. How long did it take you to get? Past that point of depression, probably years.
0: It it, it took me until about two thousand and seven. So,
2: wow, and
0: uh, uh, that 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 was ten years. It's a long time away from my operation. Yeah, yeah.
2: Who was your support system during this time? Who did you have in your corner?
0: My 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 children, and and, and uh, my close friends, and and the guys in the band, and, mm-hmm. and everything. Uh, it was, you know, they 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 uh, they also encouraged me, you know, because because e- even though the steroids were putting the weight on, uh, uh, I I had to I had to find a way to do something about it myself. I, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't just let the weight go on on un, unanswered, you know. Right. I I I had to completely throw away everything. I owned, uh, uh, as far as clothes go, mm-hmm. because, because I was so far away from anything fitting, you know, I had to, I had to buy everything new and, and I, I went from a, a, a 29 waist to a, a 38 waist. Yeah. This was all happened in a matter of about a year.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it's unbelievable, but yeah, to open your closet, and see those clothes and feel like I I don't think I'm going to get back into these. It's just, uh, that's a weight that you just needed to get rid of.
0: Yes. Uh, but, but I, I, I did, um, I I did start following a, a, um, a a low protein, low fat diet Mm -hmm. and, uh, the the weight came off slowly, but steadily. Yeah. and, And, um, I mean, when I started to to see and and feel weight loss, uh, I went after it even harder. Right, know? sure. And and uh, uh, I I was it was it was a no pasta diet. It was it was no uh, no even even certain fruits I had to give up. You know,
2: because they're so filled I, with sugar.
0: Fruit sugar that's all natural, but it is sugar. Right. And, uh, about three years after my operation, I developed type two diabetes. I had sleep apnea and all, because all
2: this is all stuff attributed to weight gain. Yes. Yeah. Yep.
0: And I honestly, what, at a certain point I was ready to give up. Uh, I just didn't know what to do. I tried everything and, and, you know, I, I would lose after three, four weeks, I would lose eight or 10 pounds. Mm -hmm. And then one or two bad days and it would come right back again.
2: You know, what was the thing that kept you going?
0: I, I think that I, I didn't want my, my children to see me like that, mm-hmm. to see me perform like that, to see me uh, around the house, not, not able to do much and falling asleep on the couch. Yeah. You know, in front of them and, and stuff like that. It was just, you know, I, I was, I was becoming uh, an, an invalid. Mm-hmm. Really. And I, I would I would have conversations with my kids sitting across from me on a sofa. And if there was a pause in the conversation, I would my eyes would close and my head would hang. And I'd be asleep.
2: Wow. Yep. How was your temper- temperament? Because I would think if this was happening to me at some point you would feel angry and maybe that anger would come out, you know, to loved ones, even though you don't want it to. Did, was there any of that?
0: yes, I think uh, I displayed my anchor to anyone who would listen and mm-hmm. those who didn't want to listen either yeah but but uh, i I had to vent I had to let them know how I was feeling during all this that I, that I wasn't uh, uh, a fat guy hiding in skinny jeans, you know yeah that, that I was in a situation that 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 I was following my doctor's orders and uh, unfortunately, this was a side effect. And these were the results.
2: Well, again, so much to go through. And can can I say one thing you can at
0: some point, at some point about 2008, I had the steroids that I had been taking for over 10 years cut in half. Okay. The amount I was taking. And suddenly I dropped 20 pounds. And that, that was such an encouragement to me that, that I I picked up a diet that someone had told me about that I had told them earlier that I wasn't going to try those anymore because they didn't work. Well, I looked into that one, and, and I lost another 20 pounds. There you go. After about three months, three, four months. And, and, and then I started working out with a trainer three times a week. And it was a cumulative effect. It it, it wasn't a, a a major loss where you go, man. I've lost fifteen or twenty pounds in in a week and a half. Wow, isn't that great? No, it was very tedious and slow going, but I was headed in the right direction. I was losing, not gaining. Good. And and that that thought in itself was not lost on me, and and it, and it made me. Try whatever I was doing. I tried. I doubled my efforts.
2: Yeah, I mean, results will make you work harder for sure. So yeah. So in 2021, Lou, every day that you wake up and the sun is shining, that's a good day.
0: It certainly is.
2: There's no, uh, there's no blue morning. There's no blue day if I may. No, there's (laughs) not. Okay. All right, Lou. Thank you so much for telling us all that story in such detail. And, uh, I'm sure it's not easy. There's probably a bit of, I've, p- lost,
0: I've lost about 70 pounds.
2: I since, can tell
0: since, uh, since, since I've decided to help myself, yeah. heal, you know,
2: you're thinner than when I saw you perform last a uh, few years back. So it, you're still, you're still working at it. And that's, yes, uh, that's only going to put more years on your, on your life, which is good for, Yes, I know. it's Thank great you. for you and it's good for us too. Uh, all right. All right, Lou, we're going to pivot into uh music right now. So, Lou, way way back, 1977, first Foreigner album came out comes out, self-titled Foreigner. You've been uh you've been in bands before and you've been, you know, doing all the things that a uh, uh, struggling musician's trying to do, and now you're literally thrust into the spotlight. This album goes to number 4. It uh It's 5 million copies sold. And um, it's one of the best debut albums of all time. It really is. Did, were you able to enjoy that success or was it happening so fast that you didn't even realize it?
0: It was happening fast, but, but I was still able to enjoy it because I mean, when we started touring, we, we, we were not the headliners playing all our hits. We were, we were opening for uh, the Doobie brothers. Mm-hmm. We had one song that was charted in the top 10. And, and so we got huge response for that. And there was a couple uh, uh, AOR hits that got response but we were an opening act and we got we were making inroads to winning fans over uh we weren't riding high yet we were working hard
2: and uh one of those songs is cold as ice and that's uh co-written by lou graham and mick jones and that goes to number six
1: You never take-
2: just having that uh having a song that you wrote come blasting out of the radio what that must have been an amazing feeling
0: it was an amazing feeling and and uh, uh mick and i recall how hard we worked on the song when when it, when it got to number 4 i think yeah and and uh it, it's it stayed in that area for for quite a long time it got a lot of airplay and uh, had staying power and we we were very proud of it and uh we we talked talked wistfully about the struggles we had completing that song, and, and uh, how we had to go back and and work it a little more because it, a certain part just didn't sound right, you know, and and we 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 finally uh, got it the way we wanted, and uh, Atlantic Records loved it, and and released it as the second single from the first album.
2: The thing about foreigner songs is. All of the intros are feel iconic to me. Like, just in the first five or ten seconds, you immediately are hooked. Like, maybe before we even hear Lou Graham, we're hooked. The, the instrumental intros are just so killer. And um, obviously, Cold as Ice is one of those.
1: And now, a word from our sponsors.
2: Hey, Roxala listeners, it's Pat Francis, and I'm here to tell you that we are stepping up our audio game with the new Shure MV7 podcast microphone. Now look, if you want to get the best audio out of your Zoom interviews, and I know you do, then you need to buy the MV7. It's perfect for podcasting, home recording, and gaming. It plugs right into the USB of your PC or your Mac, and it's ready to go. So take your sound to the next level with the Shure MV7 podcast microphone. You know what? I'm using it right now.
1: Now back to the show. Uh,
2: One of my favorites on the album, if I may, uh, a deep track that you co-wrote, Headknocker. that's a killer track for me. Love it.
0: Yeah, I love that song too.
2: I also liked that foreigner, you guys used different producers on every album. Like after you have success with the debut, it would have been easy to stick with the same producing team, but you guys, you guys never did that. And I, uh, I kind of like that.
0: Yeah, we, we, we felt that, that, uh, you know, we, we took great pains to get, Producers that were creative mm-hmm. and and may, maybe even uh, 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 you know uppity a little <laughs> bit and and, and uh, you know uh, and and we liked the results of of the, the the headbutting between the producer and the and the band and and Mick was co-producing yes so so, so we we every producer we had we'd hear. Uh, mick and the producer uh, uh talking and then arguing and and sometimes raising their voices about s- certain certain parts of the song that the producer might want to change or hears it a different way mm-hmm. uh, uh, so so it, it was it was always entertaining and and uh you know uh, uh it, it it gave us a healthy respect not only for the producer but how strongly Mick felt about the music too.
2: And how did you find your way into the band Foreigner?
0: Well, um I was in a band Black Sheep and we were we were uh we were signed to to uh Capitol Records.
1: Mm-hmm. A pretty little girl shed in tears She looked my way. Hey, my mind worked fast She walked over I thought you might pass Took my hand She looked so down
0: And uh, we had a a, a a good first album uh, that made some inroads for us, and we toured long and hard. And 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 then we we did a second album, which which actually got more airplay, and the sales were good there. And and we were opening we were opening for Kiss. We had we we were signed to open for kiss for their whole tour and they tour a long time
2: yeah that's big
0: at least in those days they did Uh, and our first show was in boston we played uh, the boston gardens and uh our first show we got an encore wow yeah people were clapping they wanted us to do one more we turned to kiss's uh uh road manager and said can we do one more? And he says, yeah, go ahead. You know, that's nice. Uh, I I would, I would have thought that, that, uh, you know, I, I've met other bands in my time that, that, uh, were, were not, not as, not as generous (laughs) to, to new bands, you know, and they would say, get off the stage, you know, but, but kiss was, was, uh, I think that I think they liked our music and our, our attitude on stage and they let us do an encore. And that night, we we were drive, we went from Boston, we were driving back home to Rochester, New York, where, where we lived. Okay. And uh, the truck hit a patch of ice and skidded off the New York State Thruway and tipped over. Oh, my God. Yeah, and they got, there were the three roadies in, in the truck. They got bumped and bruised, but n- nothing serious. But when we finally pried the door open on the truck the the legs of the Hammond B3 were ripped off the 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 drums were crushed and out of round they were they were oval you know and and heads uh, were broken cymbals were cracked uh, the the Marshall the Marshall amps were were destroyed and and uh, so so after that Boston show we had three days which which encompassed Christmas Eve Christmas And the day after Christmas, and then the next day, I think was the 27th, we were supposed to be in Miami beach opening for kiss again, playing the Miami High Line. Okay. We not only didn't have transportation down there for the equipment, I would say 60 to 70% of the equipment was unfixable. So immediately our, our manager called Capitol records to see if they could front us some some uh equipment and the vehicle to get the equipment down there so we could honor our contract right. and promote our promote our album. They said no. That they is, said no and they didn't give a reason. It was just it was so so uh unbelievable that 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 we were you know an up and coming band for them and 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 they just they just didn't want anything to do with it. And, and I had to call. I had to call Kiss's uh, tour manager and let him know that we wouldn't be there because number one, our our truck wrecked and so did the equipment, and number two, we couldn't get our record company to front us some money again against album royalties to continue the tour.
2: That's unbelievable. I mean, these are the stories that, as a, as a, as a young musician singer, this probably turned you off of the record business so much at that point you were probably so disheartened
0: i was jaded yeah. definitely so, so uh, after after that happened you know we, we the, the the guys in black sheep we used to meet once a week and sit around and talk about our about if there was any future for the band mm-hmm. and, and could we buy some cheap equipment and start playing clubs again or you know like work our way back up to to the point we were at and uh was just about that time that that my my parents called me and said that Mick Jones, somebody named Mick Jones had called their house looking for me. Okay, And uh, left his number. And I went over to my parents and called him back. And he told me, well, listen, listen, he was in a band called Spooky Tooth. Yes. They played they played in Rochester. And. Black sheep went to see them and we went backstage after because our manager of Black Sheep was an AM records rep. Okay. Spooky Tooth was on AM.
2: So did you vaguely know the name Mick Jones? Did it did it ring any bells with you?
0: Uh, so so, yeah. Know? Uh, uh, but we went backstage after and, and they sounded really good. And we, we told them so we talked and laughed. And before we left, I gave Mick Jones, the two Black Sheep albums, okay. the, the Capitol Records albums, and told him, hey, listen to us. I, I, I hope you like it. You know, we're not we're, we're kind of in the same vein you know, as, as Spooky Tooth and, uh, you know, just enjoy this. He said he would. And, and apparently he he enjoyed it a lot. And, and uh, when he left Spooky Tooth and was about to put together a new band, unnamed band. Uh, he he auditioned a lot of people and was not quite satisfied with, with, he didn't think that after all those auditionings that he had the right guy yet. So so after all that, then he called me and asked me if I would, he'd send me a ticket, I would fly down to New York and and, uh, and audition. I, I thanked him, but I told him no. I said, I, I'm loyal to the band I'm in, we're in real dire circumstances now, but but I, I, I'm not going to be the guy to walk out right. and go play someplace else, you know? And, and he says, well, I'll call you back in a week. He says, think think about it. And he said, he be- said we, we really, you know, if, if you're the one, we'd like to get busy right yeah. now.
2: Because at this point, your band is established and Foreigner is not. There's no Foreigner, really. So So on paper, you definitely made the right decision at that point because you have a band that has two albums. And here's a guy... Starting a band, but who knows if that's ever even going to happen?
0: Yes. So in the meantime, I went back and told my guys in my band about the phone call and what had happened, and that he asked me to come to New York and audition. And I told them no. And the guys in my band says, "You told them no. What the hell's wrong with you? You gotta go. You you get on that plane and go down there and audition and sing your tail off. And if you get the job." more power to you.
2: Wow. Those are some yes. friends. I hope they're still yes. your friends. Uh, I
0: couldn't believe they were saying that to me and, and, and that made me feel worse, you know, <laughs> but, but I, I did go down there and, and, and I auditioned. I had a, I had a nap, a small knapsack with me with, with one extra t-shirt, uh, <laughs> a change of underwear and socks, you know? Yeah. And I was there two weeks. <laughs> You know w- w- i was wearing one pair of clothes and the other one i was hand washing in in the in the sink and hanging it up to dry
2: what are you uh what are you auditioning what songs are you singing are you singing uh mick jones originals or are you guys just singing some yes, covers yes tunes? He,
0: he had feels like the first time written already okay and he had it more with the worlds written
1: i am the captain of
0: Can't, I'm not sure what else. I think I sang three songs. We, we, my audition was in a recording studio. So Mick let me hear let me hear the demos with him singing, and then he sent me right out in the recording studio to 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 record my my audition. And when we were done, he and the rest, he and the other guys in the band were like. Really good. Really good. Lou. Yeah, really good. Uh, and, and then Mick says, uh, can you, are you busy tonight? Do you want to come over to my apartment and, and maybe we'll try writing something together? And and, and uh, I said, sure. So I went over there and met his wife and, and had dinner. And Mick and I wrote long, long way from home that night.
2: That is unbelievable. Yeah, it's and, unbelievable. And
0: we were doing, we started doing that almost every night and we were we were either completing a song or or getting an idea that was really good and we would complete it the next time we met. But but then the next time the, the band got together to learn some of these songs, I said I says, I said to them after after the rehearsal was over, look, guys, I says, I've got one pair of jeans. I keep washing <laughs> a t-shirt and my underwear every other day. Uh, I says, I need if I says, I need to, to, to really get some clothes. I says. And, and although we've been practicing and I've been writing with Mick, no one's ever told me. So I'm going to ask you: Am I in, or
2: not? <laughs> What's going on?
0: Yeah, no, you're in. You're in. You're in. You know.
2: And is are the other members set in place at that point? Is it is it Al on bass and Ian and and all the guys? Dennis. It
0: was it was it was Al on keyboards. Um, Ed on bass. N- no, it was another nope. bass player. Okay. And another drummer too. Dennis wasn't there. Okay. And, and and the bass player and the drummer. After we did our first demos, mm-hmm. they they we we went to go back and start rehearsing again, and and they came in with their coats on and and said that that after listening to the demos, and and hearing the reaction of of record companies, uh, uh, they didn't think the band was going to go anyplace, and the one guy moved to California and the other guy enlisted in the Coast Guard.
2: All right. They didn't want it.
0: No, they they didn't they didn't think they didn't think it was going to be anything. All right. You know. Well, the, you and, don't want, and,
2: you don't want guys like that in the band, so that was good.
0: Yeah, it was good. And and right away we got Dennis and Ed Gagliardi. Yeah. Uh, Ian was already in the band. Well,
1: is done Will you miss me When I leave you behind Will you tell your friends I treated you
2: OK, cool. All right. And then uh, and then, well, you know, the rest is history. But let's move so on. Say, yeah. yeah. Let's move on to Double Vision. This album goes to number. Well, f- hang
0: on a oh, okay. I want okay. let you know, uh, uh, just just to go back just a little bit. Sure. We, we rehearsed in our managers. He had he had a whole floor in in a, in a building in Manhattan and he had his offices on the outside. On the inside w- was a rehearsal. A place for us to to write songs and rehearse. We had about five labels come and hear our songs, the the demos that we recorded and heard us live. We were refused by all of them, and then Atlantic Records came, and they heard everything, and, and the the president who came and heard us said he really liked the band, but but he 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 thought the songs needed work. Uh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> but but the A&R guy was John Kalodner.
2: Yeah, we, I know John Kolodner.
0: Yes, and he came back by himself to the rehearsal studio the next day, and he said, I love the songs. He says, I love the band. He says, the songs need a little work dynamically. They need to build a little bit more. He says, if we can work on the arrangements to get the best out of the songs and shorten them up a little bit, because our songs were... I don't know, you know, we, we had two guitar leads in every song. They were over four and a half minutes. He says, we got to get these songs down to three minutes, no more, no less. Okay. You know, and so we we cut some, cut some of the blubber off the songs and worked on the arrangement a little more and made them tight and compact. And after we did that to about four or five songs, he, he called back called the president of Atlantic back in. And we played them the same songs, only, you know, tighter. On. Yeah. yeah, tighter. Yes, and and, and uh, we we signed the contracts that day.
2: Wow. Well, thank you, John Colladner, for having yes. the, having a vision that other guys yeah, might not he, have. He,
0: he's always been a, a friend and a mentor for us. Always
2: amazing. Double vision. A lot of times, a band has a sophomore slump. You guys did not. This thing goes to number three. Two top five singles, including yep. Hot-Blooded, which goes to number three. And then Double Vision goes to number two.
1: Feeling down and dirty, feeling kind of mean. I've been
0: crazy really crazy I remember when we first started working on double vision we were super conscious of the sophomore slumps yeah. you know we, we were seeing it with good bands that were around us and it killed some of them yeah you know they they, they never had a third album and we were determined that that the writing was going to be exemplary and, and the playing too and we had Keith Olsen who had just finished rumors and, and that was a good match. him and Mick got along really good and uh, the the band was after touring on the first album for a long time the band was was gelling it sounded like mm-hmm. a sounded like a band, you know. Although there 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 were some some you know some 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 problems with songs that that we didn't think were up to snuff, there were a couple of them that we we put aside and and wrote something else, and that ended up being on the song. Yeah. But but uh, you know after, after years later, I listened to the demos and the other two songs, and they were damn good. The-
1: <laughs> BP added more than seventy billion dollars to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and not or see what doing both means for energy nationwide at BP.com slash investing in America.
2: The first two albums each have four songs that are written just by Mick Jones um, throughout the foreigner Career or process? Did Mick ever bring a song to you that you didn't feel comfortable singing? You didn't because you're you're the singer. You're the guy that has to say the words. Yeah. Did you ever have any of those things where you were like, I, I don't think I can sing these words, Mick? Later on. Later on. Uh,
0: in the band, yeah, like in the in the late eighties, mm-hmm. when 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 uh, Mick was was very enamored with the synthesizer. Yeah, and and. uh You know, we were real fortunate to have a a big hit with Waiting for a Girl Like You. that went to number two i'm not sure i think it was in the top five for sure yeah it definitely was right after waiting for a girl the next album uh i want to know what love is Mm -hmm. was the second single you usually wait to the third or fourth single to release the ballad
2: ballad, right because you guys are you guys are a rock band
0: yeah atlantic Atlantic wanted to re release the album first and we talked them into putting something else first and they said, "Well, we're sure going to release it second. and and it was our first and only number one single. And we we were in uh, Scandinavia d- doing doing press, and we were doing television shows, mm-hmm. you know. And we got back to our hotel, and uh, we we were we were hanging around in somebody's room talking about the band and this and that. And all of a sudden, the phone rang, and it was...
2: Uh, was it the label?
0: Yes, it, w- it was the president. His name's slipping my... I
2: I don't know it either, but okay. It's a, uh, um, a big wig in the label.
0: Well, well, he said, he said, congratulations, you guys. And we're like, what? He goes, I want to know what love is. Is number one around the world. He says, that hardly ever happens. Yeah. He says, and you guys have done it.
2: Across the board, number one. Yep. B- blessing and a curse, maybe.
0: It, it definitely was because I thought, I want to know what love is, came too soon after waiting for a girl like you. And and, and although there were good rock songs on the, the um, Agent Provocateur album, they did, really didn't see the light of day. Some good songs got totally passed over because after... I want to know what love is Atlantic didn't release any more singles from that album.
2: That's ridiculous. So
0: it was that was yesterday and I want to know what love is and I think I think that was it. They might have released one more but but they didn't pick a good one and and the album was over.
2: Well, that album kicks off brilliantly with Tooth and Nail. I mean, that yes. is a tough rocking song.
0: That, that that scored really big in the AOR market, you know. It was, yeah. Uh, and and there were some other good good rock songs and good mid tempo songs. Exactly.
2: Yeah. That was yesterday's oh, a great mid tempo song. Down on love yes. is a great mid tempo song. The, that was
0: the first single. Yeah. That was yesterday, and I thought down on love would have been a great follow-up.
2: Absolutely.
0: like who are these guys don't they hear don't they hear more single Have they had enough after i want to know what love is yeah are they on to somebody else now they don't want to be bothered with us there's so many other good songs why don't they release another one or another two you know and and they just didn't and we were we were missed.
2: yeah they Very didn't miffed. they did not work the album the way they should have given the success no. of that one song
0: that's right
2: now you co-wrote that song but you don't have a writing credit that's correct and i know this is a story that's out there from what I understand is how it went down is after the songwriting was done. You guys decide on what percentage of the song each of you is going to get.
0: That's, and, that's what we did on every song we co-wrote.
2: Cause sometimes in the credits, your name is first. So I always figure, well, Lou must've brought the most to this song or if Mick's name is I, first.
0: I, 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 I had the initial idea.
2: Yes. Okay. So, and with, uh, I want to know what love is when you guys decided on what the percentage would be. Mick offered you a quite a low percentage. And so you just told him to take it 5%. And so you just said, then just take it basically. Uh, I
0: said, that that's what you want, Mick, by insulting me with 5%. I know you want the whole thing. I says, I says, I know you pretty well by now. I says, just take it.
2: Do you have any regrets about not taking the 5% or, I mean, given, no. given, okay, good. But given that that song is everywhere at weddings, at, bar mitzvahs it's everywhere but no you'd rather stand and hold your ground and because that is insulting five percent is insulting yes it is i got to assume that that was something that took years to get over maybe maybe you've never gotten over that maybe you've never gotten by i've
0: never gotten over
2: it i i don't blame you and does mick just ignore the fact that you haven't gotten over it yes all right. That's yes. Cra- he does uh, we, craziness. We,
0: he, he had a home. Uh, I lived in in Katona in Westchester, n- north of uh, Manhattan, mm-hmm. and, he, and he had a home in Bedford Hills. Yeah. We were about ten minutes apart from each other, so I would I would come over to his house and we would write.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We we spent hours and hours on on songs, writing, preparing them for the album and stuff. And that song we must have spent a month on getting it the way we want to. Yeah. You know, I put I put words in it, he'd like like them, then three days later he'd have something else that he liked better. And and I'd be singing that. And and uh I, I would put them I put them the basic melody to mm-hmm. it, you know, and, and uh, after listening to that and telling me how much he liked it, he'd tinker with that too. You yeah. Know? And and uh it, it was frustrating because because he was undermining my confidence in yeah. myself.
2: Yeah. And just the fact that he would, you would, you would do this and then he would tinker with it. You've given him the beginning of the idea, even if he tinkers with it and changes it to something different, you've started that ball rolling. So that is why you deserve more than 5%. I mean, again, cr- craziness, well, craziness.
0: Here, here's another thing. While, while Mick was in, we had, we were in a studio where there were two recording rooms mm-hmm. In one recording room was Mick and, and um, I think it was Alex Sadkin okay. was the producer. Yeah. And they were working with the choir. Okay. okay get, getting the, the the voicings right and, and the, the sway of the song so so it feels like church, you know? Yeah. I was in the other room with another engineer singing the lead vocal. Yeah. Nobody came in to to see how I was doing. Nobody came in to see how I was doing. Nobody came in to 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 say that's really great. But wouldn't it be better if you did this instead of that? Nobody did anything. And and when I finished the lead vocal, I finished it. And, and finally, they they said, "Nice job, nice job, Lou. That's about it." And and uh, so so the, the lead vocal of the song was. So downplayed mm-hmm. because because of the the beautiful choir and 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 their voicings and 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 what they lend to the song. I think I think the choir idea was was fantastic and, and uh, there's nothing like it. Well, there's don't like
2: it. Lou, don't sell yourself short on that lead vocal. It is, is no, no, incredible. I'm I'm, yeah,
0: I'm not. I, uh, I, I, I was saying that only to to acknowledge what they were so excited about and taken with that they couldn't even come in and see how the lead vocal was doing. And 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 but but I think the lead vocal is one of the best vocals I ever sang for Warner. It's uh it's it's so so expressive and goes from from you know uh, uh holding back and being not sure of yourself mm-hmm. to shouting out, you know? Yeah. I wanna know what you know it's it's it it, it took a lot. To to do it that way for me, you know, I wasn't. I, I've never sung anything like that before, and I have never sung anything like it since.
2: Well, it, it's incredible, and it's something to be proud of. And I just, uh, I just want I'm people. Really proud. Of it. Good, good. And I want people to know that, um, you know, if they didn't know the story of the songwriting, I, I wanted to put it out there because it's important. Head games. You work with Roy Thomas Baker, who had quite a pedigree. How was he to work with in the studio? <laughs>
0: Um, I, I, I'll just give you a, a normal day.
2: <laughs> I'm uh, laughing already. I'm laughing at what might be okay. coming.
0: I remember the first couple days we worked there, we started at about nine thirty in the morning and we'd go to about one, one the following morning. Okay. And then everybody would go home and, and I, I would ask Mick and Roy, what time do you want me here the, the next day? And they said about 9 30, 10 o'clock. I said, Oh, good. Okay. I'll be here. So I would come in at 9 30 or 10 o'clock. There was no one there. Even Roy's engineer was not there. And I'd go to the front desk and I'd say, Did anybody call in saying, saying when they were coming in or where they were? And she said, uh, Mick called in. She says, But I couldn't understand him. Partying. All night. With Roy. All night. And they were toast. Uh, so I got there at 930 and they came in at 6 p.m.
2: And what happened? I was,
0: there, what I was ha- there all day waiting for them.
2: So there's nothing you guys can do while you're waiting? You just have to sit?
0: I couldn't do anything myself. Okay. I, uh, there was nothing I could do.
2: All right. But you were there and ready to go when they arrived.
0: Well, I was there. I don't know if I wasn't that ready to go anymore.
2: You probably pissed off.
0: I was very pissed off. Well, and they had, I all had a good laugh about it and broke open a couple bottles of champagne.
2: <laughs> well, despite uh, despite the story of the creation of this album, I, I really do enjoy Head Games. Uh, you did get hits, "Dirty White Boy," and the title track.
1: Daylight.
2: And one of the songs I really like, one of my faves, is the one that you wrote with Ian McDonald, Do What You Like. I I love that tune. You like that song? I really do like that song. Uh, Do you not like it? uh, That
0: was the first time I ever wrote with Ian, just the two
2: of us. Well, you guys came out pretty good, didn't it? Well, it it came out great, and you probably you probably had to write together because the other guys weren't around. (laughs) (laughs) You you had to do it. All right, uh, 1981. Here's, I mean, you guys have had success the whole time from the beginning, but now this Foreigner four really takes off. It's your fourth album, but you also scale the band down to a four piece. Why did that happen? Why are Al and Ian gone?
0: Well, you know, you know. Uh, um, although I think Head Games was a good album, it it, it was a it, it sounded unfinished to Mick and myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I think the arrangements and the creativity from the production standpoint was not sharp. Yeah. There were no little ear ticklers there to to just just to, uh, to tease you a little bit and make you enjoy it more. It was a very bland album. The songs were good and 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 the mixes were pretty good, but but a lot of the songs to me didn't feel finished. It felt like they they should have been massaged a little more. And and maybe the second half of the song were the lead and mm-hmm. and the, the out are. Could have, could have been more creative and and uh, taken the song to a, a higher high. It, it, it seemed to me that we reached a certain point in the middle of the song and the song stayed dynamically like that all gotcha. the way to the end. All right. And, and we, got, we got panned for that album. Uh, the critics really said that in, in a lot of ways it was a disappointment. They didn't feel like we had grown any. And, and they definitely didn't think that the Head Games album was even as good as the first
2: two. What's funny is it's still a successful album. It still goes multi-platinum and you still have hits. And any other band would enjoy... would If it, any other band whose album was called a disappointment uh, but had that kind of success, they wouldn't care. But you guys care. And so with Foreigner 4, you want to hit another grand slam.
0: Yeah, because I think uh, Double Vision was... Uh, Six Times Platinum. Yeah. And and, and, uh, Head Games was, I think, two and a half. Yeah. It was really a fall off. It was a fall off. And and here's another thing. Uh, uh, Dirty White Boy, the first single from the album. Yep. In the uh, Midwest, that song was was considered to be a racial racial slam. Okay. And uh, church groups had big bonfires like at a school or something and people were burning all their foreigner albums and their foreigner oh t-shirts and paraphernalia. And, and that spread to Boston and the same thing happened in Boston and I would say there was about 40 or 50 rock radio stations that wouldn't play head games or anything from the album. It Well, it, it's so funny
2: because in, in the song you're saying I'm a dirty white boy. Yes. You're talking about yourself or the person singing it, the character in the song. So that's uh that's always craziness to me when things like that happen.
1: Are you worried with your friend?
2: So Foreigner 4, co-produced with Mutt Lang. Everything I read is that he's a taskmaster in the studio. Is it multiple, multiple takes and layers? And what's it like in the studio with, I'll call him a genius because his discography tells me he's a genius. Uh, You know, with uh, Def Leppard and ACDC and the cars and Shania Twain. I mean, it's incredible. So what was it like working with him?
0: it was it was all right for the most part he was a very nice guy very knowledgeable in music mm-hmm. and and uh really liked the band you know uh uh he, if he didn't he wouldn't work with us right know? but but um you know we, we we for instance we were working on jukebox hero
1: okay standing in the rain with his head hung low couldn't get it t-
0: And uh, uh, jukebox hero starts off. the The, the dynamic is low, mm-hmm. and the vocal standing in the ring, near are low. Yeah, you know. And and, and then it, it starts. Gotta keep a rocking, just can't stop. Then it's jukebox
1: hero, you know,
0: <laughs> right? He 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 says he says he loved that. Why why couldn't I I get the the rest of the lyrics like jukebox? In other words, scream the whole verse out. Scream it out. And i says i says where's the dynamic there where where do you go from there yeah that, if you do that and 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 that's all you can do people are going to turn the channel by the second verse yeah i says, I says don't you see that and he said no <laughs> and and he oh, that song was a disappointment to him he he said
2: it well he was pro- he was and proven he, wrong sadly
0: he, he really had um a c d c on the brain yeah he compared everything we did that, that how about trying this? And as soon as he picked up a guitar to show us what he meant, I knew, I not only knew who the band he was, was pretending to be, I, I knew the song. Yeah. You know, and he just wanted us to be a hard ass, uh, one dynamic only thresh band, you know? Yeah. And, and we weren't that. And we, we, uh, we, it was an ongoing conversation throughout the whole, uh, uh r- when it ran the course of the album, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I love ACDC, but they do their one thing. And you guys can do that thing too, but you guys do other things as well. Let me talk about a few songs from the album Urgent, which features that amazing Junior Walker sax solo. Were you in the studio when Junior recorded that solo? I sure was. And how, what a... Th- Thrill that must have been for you guys.
0: Well, I was a Junior Walker fan, anyways, from from his hits "Shotgun" and uh, "What Does It Take to Give You Love to Me." That that kind of ballad yeah. he did. He always played. He, he had a good voice, and he played great sax. So, so we 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 were doing hero and we had the "Dan dan 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 or I mean, "Urgent." We had we had we had the second verse, the second chorus done. And a reintro, and we didn't know where that intro was going. Uh, we tried Mick playing guitar lead, and it was all right. We didn't know what we were, we we almost lost the song because we we were we were at a dead end uh, creatively as as what to do to to lift that song higher to the to the to be the song we wanted it to be. Yeah, and I I was just leafing through Village Voice. While they were talking at the, at the, over the, over the soundboard. And and I saw uh, Junior Walker at the, at the village gate or something like that. Some, some, some rock blues club. Sure. In Manhattan. And, and I said, what about Junior Walker? And first they went. And, and then all of a sudden you see their their eyes light up. I says, he's playing right down the street. He goes on at 1130. So so it was got it had to be quarter to eleven when I said that right. So we hung around another half hour and we walked. We must have walked about twelve blocks to the club, and we heard him playing his band. He and his band were great. His son played drums for him, and as we later found out, his son managed him. All right. So so we asked him if he would consider playing sax on on a song we were putting together, and and we just told him that the the song is at a dead stop. And, and we know what the song needs, and, and it needs you, Junior. And and he he was like, he looked at his son, he goes, I don't oh mind, yeah. And we said, we were like, well, can you come by tomorrow? What right about noon? And he says, no, no, no. He says, I'm ready to play now. Wow. It was already going on at 1 o'clock. And he's warmed up, though, from doing a show. He's ready. Yes, he was. And, and so he came in, and he, he played a solo for Urgent, and, and it was, it was, it had good moments, but it wasn't great all the way through. And, and uh, we, we listened to it and then we looked at him and he was putting his sacks away. <laughs> he, he put thought, his sacks away. He thought he had it. He went, no, 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 Junior, wait, not so fast, you know. That's pretty good, but, but could you place s- something else with a little more aggression? Oh, yeah, you know. And then he's screaming all the way through it and that, that wasn't what we wanted either. And he we played about five takes and after we told him we had it after he left, we put bits and pieces of all five takes in there and built an incredible dynamic solo that ended with him at the end of it, you know.
2: built this solo in such a way that you make it so hard for the person who has to play that live every night. <laughs> you guys weren't even thinking about that, but that's, that is an amazing story. Um, well, but
0: it, so- it sounded like it was, t- it was done in one tape. It
2: sure you know? does. It's one, it's one of the greatest solos on any rock song. It's amazing. So,
0: so let me finish. We, sure. after the album came out and the song w- was huge on the radio, it was a big hit. And we played the LA forum. And Junior lives in L.A. Okay, and we called him and asked him if he wanted to come on stage and jam with us, on urgent. And he shows up in this chartreuse fluorescent suit. Okay, you know, with, with, with a with a, a wild shirt and a little derby hat. Okay, and and, and we were like, I wonder what he's going to play. So we did the song, and it came time for his solo. And he played it note for note the way it is on the record. And it sounded unbelievable. Brought that, the house down.
2: That is fantastic. I love it. So he uh he did his homework and learned and that's incredible. Yes,
0: I'm sure his son had something to do
1: with that. <laughs>
2: Uh, one of the songs I love on Foreigner Four is Luann, and that's not a name that I hear ever. I don't. I think I know maybe one Luann. Is that about a real person? Is there a real Luann? Yes, Who is Luann?
0: Well, when I was in one of my my first rock bands when I was in high school, um, the the keyboard player lived about a block away from me. Okay, a nice guy, a real a really great player, uh, uh, had 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 already auditioned for the Eastman School of Music, and was accepted uh, when he got out of high school, and and we were only sophomores at this time. Okay, and uh, we used to go down to to the lake. There was there's a beach with all custard stores and hot dog stands and things like that. It's a great place for kids to go and everybody drive down there in their muscle cars and park them next to each other and it was it was just a ball. And and uh so so we met these three girls. Uh there were three of us and we met three girls and we talked to them and this and that. It was a lot of fun. But but uh we we just were friendly with them but but the keyboard player Joe met met a girl named Blue Ann. Okay. And he fell hard for her. And they were boyfriend and girlfriend for it wasn't a long time. It was maybe a little over a year. And, and um, he was the perfect gentleman at first, but near the end, when they broke up, she she was she was confiding in me that that he was uh, verbally abusive to her, and and, and he even got a little physical with her. Okay. Gave her a shove and stuff, you know, and and. and uh, I got real mad at him and I, I had a real stern talking to him, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and realized afterwards that I loved her. Wow. And, 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 uh, you know, that, 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 that Joe blew it and and maybe I had a chance now. And did you get a chance? no, all
2: right. Unre- unrequited love.
0: Unrequited love. Uh, but but I didn't write that song until until maybe ten years later. I had bits and pieces that have been in my head, and I'd recorded on a cassette. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but it w- was only it was only when I was I think I st- I really finished it uh, around the time of, of head games. Yeah, and and it found its way onto four hundred four. And it's it's it, I think the sound of it is very Everly Brothers.
2: It is, and I can guarantee you, when Lou heard that, she knew that it was it was for her and about her. So pretty cool. That's
0: right. And uh, it wasn't from Joe.
2: No, it was not. It was from <laughs> Lou. We are now at an hour and I, I promise to only keep you for an hour. And even though we haven't scratched the surface, I thank you so much. I mean, we didn't even get to your solo career, which is incredible. Uh, the song we midnight,
0: this up, we can pick this up at a later date.
2: Let's pick it up at a later date. I would love that. Maybe after the tour is over, maybe, uh, you know, early next year, I would love to do a part two with Lou. That's what I'll call it. That sounds great. Part two with Lou. Too. Now, Lou, before we go, I do have one question for you. My playout song today. If you can pick one song from your entire recorded career, what song should I use today for the playout song? It'll oh, it'll it'll, it'll end the episode. What song would you choose?
0: Okay, let me think for a second.
2: It's tough, I know. How
0: about the song I'm going to win?
2: Excellent. Excellent. That's what we're going to play out then, Lou. Thank you so much for your time. I'll see you in November here at the Canyon Club for sure. So everybody, please enjoy. I'm going to win. Thank you, Lou.
0: Thank you. See you soon.
2: Okay, that's it, Lou. Uh, Great. So fun. And I will definitely- For me too. Good, I'm glad. I will definitely uh, get in touch with Bob down the road, and we'll do a part two.